the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Firing Line with Philip Naiman. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, CCW Safe, Moppin Financial Advisors, Cutting Edge Bullets, Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino, and Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. And now your host, Philip Naiman. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Good morning, faithful listeners at the Fire Line Radio Show. This is Stan Campbell of CCW Safe stepping in today for my awesome friend of the Second Amendment, Phil Naiman, in his absence. Um, of course, Phil has me step in every once in a while when he goes out of town on vacation or what other business that he has. And, of course, because I, I love his listeners and I support those who carry concealed and the Second Amendment, I jump for my man, Phil. Today, I decided to bring in a couple of friends, um, two attorneys that uh, I'm going to have a special guest today. And um, number one, we have uh, Matthew Cabero of Michelle and Associates in Long Beach, California. Uh, Matthew uh, is actually an attorney. He's been practicing with uh, Michelle and Associates for the past four and a half years. And uh, uh, Matthew, uh, he specializes in firearm regulations, compliance, uh, firearm law, and litigation. Uh, one of Matthew's uh, primary responsibilities at Michelle and Associates is tracking ongoing firearm-related litigation in the United States at both federal and state court levels. So uh, he's going to actually give us a lot of insight today in, in some of the recent cases that are going on, especially the Ninth Circuit uh, decision of recent. Um, welcome to the show, Matthew. Thank you for having me. Hey, no problem. And my second guest, I know I'm a little bit better because he is the general counsel of CCW Safe, Kyle Sweet uh, of Sweet Law Firm. Um, uh, and he is a civil litigator. Uh, handling catastrophic cases across the nation, also on the federal and state level. And welcome, Kyle Sweet. Thank you, Stan. Appreciate it. Hey, no problem. So uh, just to jump into our conversation, you know, I, I really, uh, we recently had a lot of calls over at CCW, say, from our California f uh, members in reference to the Ninth Circuit and how it affects them, Ninth Circuit uh, ruling, and how it affects them. Uh, so I wanted to kind of have Matthew step in because he is a local and, and that's what he does. I wanted Matthew to kind of step in and give us an overview of the case and, and tell us a little bit about the ruling. Yeah, well, so thank you. So the, the case is called Young v. Hawaii, and it essentially it was a challenge to uh, Hawaii's carry restrictions that have been in place now for several years. Uh, my understanding was the case was actually originally filed back in around, I want to say, 2012, uh, right around that time, for those uh, of you that are California residents that are familiar, 
uh, with some of the uh, the litigation that's been going on in the past. There was a, there was another case that was pending in the Ninth Circuit called Peruta v. San Diego, which challenged California's carrier restrictions, specifically as applied to the good cause requirement uh, that uh, local sheriffs have authority to decide whether or not to issue CCW permits to California residents. Uh, so that case was going up at the same time uh, the Young case was, and so I, I think as a result of that, with the Ninth Circuit taking up Peruta, the Young case was originally stayed uh, for, for at least for, for some time, and then after the Peruta decision came down, for those of you that uh, don't remember, Peruta essentially originally was, was a, a monumental victory at the, uh, the three-judge panel uh, that originally heard the case, but then, of course, the en banc panel, which is the, the full Ninth Circuit, uh, an 11-judge panel, reheard the case uh, and, and held that essentially concealed carry was not a right protected by the Constitution. Uh, it le- the case, however, left open uh, for, uh, for future decision uh, whether or not open carry was specifically protected by the, uh, by the Constitution. And so that, that's sort of been a question that's been lingering now for some time. The, uh, the Young case came along, of course, after Peruta, and the Young, if, for those of you that don't know, the, the original three-judge panel opinion in Peruta was written by the same judge uh, that now authored the Young opinion that's, that was recently released. And so he essentially took the direction that the, uh, that the Ninth Circuit said, well, if concealed carry is not a protected right, that of course means that open carry is 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 then protected based off of the historical interpretation and just by the meaning of the the plain language of the constitutional amendment itself that people have a right to keep and bear arms, and so the the three judge panel in the Young case uh, issued a, a ruling recently that basically said that if open carry is the the uh, the preferred manner of carry in the Ninth Circuit, then a statute or restriction by a state prohibiting both is unconstitutional. So essentially it struck down Hawaii's restrictions on carry as applied to open carry. Now, as far as California is concerned, it doesn't necessarily change anything immediately. So uh, it's one of those things that it is California residents, of course, should understand that it the restrictions on open carry in California are still in place, and so it's not something that you should be going out and now celebrating the ruling by openly carrying in the state of California. You will get arrested. That's not a good thing. Uh, but it is one of those things that uh, does sort of set the stage uh, for what's going to happen next uh, here uh, in the sense that following the Peruta case, our office filed another case called Flanagan v. Becerra, which challenges California's restrictions, both concealed and open carry. And so with this recent ruling in Young, the Flanagan case sort of now is, uh, the stage has been set for that to sort of strike down or at least uh, decide once and for all whether or not California's restrictions are constitutional. Thank you very much. Hey, and and Kyle, I know that you recently... um read on the case because of uh, some of our members calling in, uh, California members, you know, wanting to find out if they could carry open at this time. And um, uh, I think you had some questions in reference to that. Uh, do you have um, um, some questions for Matthew? Well, yeah, Matthew, one of the questions we receive quite often is people <clears throat> will read publicized opinion and operate under the presumption that that allows them, that the law has changed, essentially. And I think what people sometimes fail to realize is the only take, the only immediate concrete takeaway from this is that the 
the three-judge panel of the Ninth Circuit found that one specific 134-9 of the Hawaii statute to be unconstitutional and violate the Second Amendment. Is that a fair takeaway? It has not legalized open carry. It's a brick in the path to uh, better understanding and setting up the Supreme Court to finally make the decision to, to take the Heller decision further where it says the Second Amendment does provide an individual right and say that the Second Amendment provides an individual right to carry a gun for self-defense in public. Is that a fair takeaway that it hasn't gotten us there yet? It's just one more of the circuits getting uh, pushing things to the Supreme Court to say we still have all these unanswered questions. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think that's an accurate description there. One thing that, of course, people should understand, too, is that uh, it's very possible that the Ninth Circuit will want to rehear the Young case, just like it did the Peruta case. And it's actually my understanding that very recently the uh, the state of Hawaii has filed a motion uh, to request an extension of time to uh, see about filing a petition for what, what's called an en banc hearing, which is an 11-judge panel that sort of rehears the case. And so the decision in Young is essentially it's not yet final. And so even in Hawaii, it doesn't necessarily change anything in Hawaii at this time specifically. Uh, if it does become final, then yes, it will effectively have the force of law, and, it, and Hawaii will be forced to to change its ways. But for, for the time being, it, it's it, it's it's a it's definitely a step in the right direction. But but there isn't anything that, as far as legally speaking, what your authority to carry a firearm under law, it hasn't changed yet. And, and so it's one of those things that just, just be aware that that's where it's going. And you brought up the point with the Supreme Court. Um, yeah, there is, uh, there's been several cases now that have been heard in various circuits uh, that have effectively created what's called a circuit split, where you essentially you have the Ninth Circuit, for example, says concealed carry isn't protected, and then you have other circuits like the Washington, D.C. Circuit uh, that uh, in the... Um, uh, the Wren case and the uh, the Grace cases uh, that effectively said that uh, concealed carry is something that is protected, and so so there's there's difference of opinions among uh, different courts. So your right to carry is, is sort of dictated at this point based off of where you live in the United States, and so that that sort of sets up the issue. Uh, uh, sort of uh, tease it up, so to speak, for the Supreme Court, because at some point the Supreme Court is going to have to sort of step in and, and sort of lay the groundwork and, and, and sort of clear the air as to what specifically is protected or not protected by the Second Amendment. Matthew, one thing, Stan, and I've talked about before is the current political climate. Uh, there's differing opinions about it, but to me, anyway, it seems, from somebody in the middle of the United States, it seems unlikely that as we're advancing quickly upon midterm elections that the Supreme Court is going to take this issue on and perhaps drive, you know, urban, typically urban, uh, you know, left-leaning voters to the polls. Same thing for the fall of presidential election in a couple of years. Justice Roberts, who's the chief justice and who decides what cases will be heard, has shown no affinity for resolving these Second Amendment questions. Is that kind of your takeaway, too? Well, so when it comes to the Supreme Court, uh, w one thing that uh, maybe uh, some of the viewers might not realize is that it, typically, obviously, there's nine judges on the Supreme Court. In order to get a, uh, a majority ruling, you need at least five judges to uh, to, to agree on the issue in order to uh, have a ruling on a particular issue. Uh, but as far as deciding whether or not the Supreme Court actually takes the case, you only need four judges. 
And so what I think has been going on, uh, at least with the past couple of cases, and this is all my personal opinion, there isn't exactly a clear answer on this one way or another, but you have some of the justices, even those on the pro-gun side uh, that have, have, have issued rulings uh, favorable to the Second Amendment in the past, sort of unsure where the other justices lie uh, on, on these issues. And so because of that, I think that even some of the pro-gun justices haven't wanted to take a case yet because they're not sure yet where the decision will come out. And so you've got people on both sides of the, on, on the issue uh, in the Supreme Court saying, well, I, I'm not sure about you know this one particular judge. I don't think we should take this case. And so eventually you don't get enough justices to vote in favor of taking the case. So that's how I see it as far as what's actually been happening uh, recently. And so with the appointment of, um, of Kavanaugh and hopefully his ultimate confirmation, uh, he will be uh, effectively taking the seat of a justice that has been known to be a swing vote on several political issues in the past. And so Kavanaugh does have a very good record on the Second Amendment. He seems to understand it very well, and, and, and I think that he will be a great justice uh, to add to the bench at the Supreme Court. And with that, hopefully, uh, you'll start seeing the Supreme Court take a little more interest in some of these cases uh, that are coming up before it with regards to the Second Amendment. So hopefully, as a result of that, the Supreme Court will take a case in, in the future and, and sort of, you know, clear the air on the issue. So. That, that's awesome. Hey, guys, um, uh, thanks a lot for that, Matthew. And um, we're going to be back in a moment to continue the conversation uh, on these two cases. Uh, so stay tuned for the next segment. A message from Vince, the owner of Bullseye Sport Guns and Ammo in Riverside. If you're a first-time gun owner or thinking about purchasing your first firearm, whether for hunting, home defense, or recreational shooting, it is important to take the next step and become a responsible gun owner. We highly recommend that you attend a certified firearm safety and training class, one that will teach you the basic knowledge, skills, and attitude essentials to the safe and efficient use of your firearm. As a law-abiding citizen, you have the right to self-defense, and with that right comes an obligation to educate yourself on the laws and safety procedures needed to use a firearm properly. For information about certified firearm training classes, call Bullseye Sport in Riverside at 951-823-0211 or check out their schedule of classes at bullseyesport.com. Because at Bullseye Sport Guns and Ammo, we believe in safety first. 951-823-0211. Pull! Whether you're a gold medalist or new to the sport of shooting, you'll love Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino, where Olympians shoot. Prado's shotgun facility is world-class, offering trap, skeet, and five-stand. And the pistol and rifle ranges are safe and enjoyable shooting environments with professionals there to answer all your questions. Are you an experienced pistol shooter with an itch to take your skills to the next level? Discover the sport of practical shooting at one of the monthly events. Prado hosts ISPC shooting events open to the public every first and third Sunday with Prado Running Gun Club, blending accuracy, power, and speed with challenging multiple moving targets, penalty targets, and obstacles. Prado Olympic Shooting Park is a great place to teach your whole family about the safe and effective use of firearms. Bring the whole family for an exciting day at the shooting range. Call Prado Olympic Shooting Park at 909-597-4518. Online at shootprado.com. 909-597-4518. AM 590. 
the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside and Cutting Edge Bullets. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio Show. This is Stan Campbell again, stepping in for Phil Naiman. Uh, of course, we've got to pay the bills. So uh, if you are a regular listener of the Fire Line Radio Show, and you know each week the conversations about the latest in firearms, hunting, and gun rights afforded to all Americans under the Second Amendment of the Constitution. And you should know by now that Phil's faithful companion in the battle to uphold these rights has been the Fire Lines Radio Show's longtime sponsor, Vince Torres at Bullseyes Sports, Guns, and Ammo in Riverside. If you're not armed for protection or recreation, then Bullseye Sports in Riverside is where you need to go for handguns, rifles, shotguns, ammo, accessories, and much more. After you purchase a firearm, Vince, Phil, and I highly recommend that you attend certified firearm safety and training courses. That will teach you the basic knowledge, skills, and attitude essential to the safe and efficient use of a firearm. For more information about their certified firearms courses, call Bullseye Sports in Riverside at 951 Eight two three zero two one one. Visit their website bullseyesport dot com for a schedule of class. Because bullseye sports and guns and ammo, they believe in safety first. Nine five one eight two three zero two one one. Nine five one eight two three zero two one one. All right, guys, welcome back, and we're having a discussion with Matthew Cabero and Kyle Sweet. Uh, about the Ninth Circuit decision and a couple of different cases associated with it. So, uh, Matthew, if you would um, continue the conversation again, uh, give us a little bit more insight with the Flanagan case and how how it it parallels. Yeah, so the Flanagan case was filed in direct response to the en banc panel decision in Peruta v. San Diego, which was the case that challenged the good cause requirement uh, that uh, local licensing authorities like sheriffs and police departments have in California to issue uh, CCW permits. And, of course, the Ninth Circuit said concealed carry is not protected, and so as a result, the, the case was uh, ended at that point. Uh, the Supreme Court, unfortunately, declined to take the case at the time. Uh, so effectively, it, sort of the status quo remains in effect in California, where in order to, to lawfully carry, generally speaking, in California, you have to get a CCW permit, and that sort of depends on your, your ability to get one sort of depends on what county you live in. There are some counties like Orange County, for example, that are, 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 are I would say, very friendly to issuing permits. There's over, I think, 14,000 now in Orange County alone. Uh, other counties like Los Angeles County, uh, it, it, you can count the number of permits on, on, your, on your two hands kind of thing that have been issued to, to law-abiding citizens. So uh, it, it is sort of unfortunate that that's the state that we're in. But Flanagan was filed in response to that opinion because essentially it didn't really decide uh, what the Second Amendment protects as far as the right to carry is concerned. And so it sort of left open the issue, well, if concealed carry isn't protected, what about open carry? And so it, it, the Ninth Circuit sort of basically dodged the question, essentially, that was really an issue in Peruta. And so Flanagan was filed in direct response to that. Uh, and so it challenges both California's concealed carry restrictions and California's open carry restrictions uh, to sort of force the circuit to, to once and for all decide whether or not California's carry restrictions are constitutional. Mm. Uh, and so at, right now, at this point, the case uh, was uh, recently decided by the district court. The district court 
uh, didn't issue a favorable ruling, so now it's up on appeal. Uh, it has been appealed to the Ninth Circuit. Uh, it is possible that with the, uh, the, the decision in the Young case that the Flanagan case will sort of uh, uh, jump the three-judge panel stage and go directly to the en banc stage uh, because, uh, generally speaking, a three-judge panel in the Ninth Circuit is bound by other three-judge panel opinions, and so the Young opinion will have a direct impact on the Flanagan case in that regard. And so there's a possibility because of that that the Flanagan will be appealed directly to an en banc panel. At that point, once there's an en banc panel decision, it could then get appealed to the Supreme Court. And so by then, at that point, hopefully we have... Um, a, a, uh, a set of judges on the Supreme Court that are willing to take a case. And so that's what we're waiting for. Awesome. Awesome. And then, Kyle, just before the break, you, you had one more question uh, for Matt. Uh, what was that question that you had for him? Repeat that, please. Well, yeah, it's actually a di- little bit of a different question, more of a kind of a tactic that may be employed by some of the different lawyers involved. Uh, Matt, if, if Hawaii were to, in light of the... Uh, Ninth Circuit's ruling on 134-9, if they were to enact a concealed carry that's more of a shell-issue type format, but then provide restrictions to that, would that, you think, satisfy the uh, Ninth Circuit's overturning of 134-9, or is this more of a shot across the bow specifically on the issue of open carry? Uh, it's an interesting question because essentially the, the 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 law of the circuit right now is that concealed carry is not protected by the Second Amendment, but open carry is. And so, if Hawaii were to enact a statute that only allowed for concealed carry, uh, I think there'd be an interesting question there as to whether or not that sort of uh, satisfied the uh, the Ninth Circuit ruling. Because essentially, the Ninth Circuit ha- has boxed itself into a corner in, in this regard because of the Peruta decision that effectively said concealed carry isn't restricted. And so the judge in the uh, the Young case said, well, okay, if the concealed carry isn't protected, then uh, open carry has to be. And so if that's the case, open carry is sort of now the, um, the preferred manner of carry according to the Ninth Circuit. And so I don't know if Hawaii were to only allow for concealed carry uh, if that would satisfy the ruling, I, I think it probably would in the sense that it's providing a form of carry, but it would have to be a shell issue system uh, in, in, in the sense that, uh, at least according to the, to the Young ruling, where it wouldn't be something that would be subject to any sort of discretion because it's a constitutionally protected right. Uh, but it, it, that remains to be seen. That's a good question, though. I don't know for certain. Okay. And, um, you know... I wanted to talk real quick to the audience and, you know, you know, regardless of it's very important, you know, to listen to these discussions and to educate yourself on the laws and what's changing. But for those um, who are listening, you know, you know, if this does you know, push through in the state of California and, and, and you do get the opportunity to um, to open carry for self-defense, um, you know, myself as a former police officer trainer, you know, I really want you to, to, to take in the fact that it is very important and imperative to train to defend your firearm while it's in its holster. You know, people love the opportunity to step out and, and carry open, but you really need to understand the importance of, of training just in case someone attacks your weapon while it's in the holster. Because uh, if, it's, if it's exposed, then you're vulnerable. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I, I really choose to carry concealed 
you know, for the element of surprise uh, so I can defend myself. But um, make sure that you guys, you know, really just kind of take that in. Uh, we're going to move on uh, and close out this segment and get ready for the next. So to our Fire and Line Radio audience, please continue to listen as we move into the next segment and conversation about brandishing. We'll be back. Are you an expert marksman looking for a clean, safe place to shoot? Or maybe you've never shot a gun but want to learn? Well, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range is the best place to work on your shooting skills, no matter what your experience level is. With 21,000 square feet of indoor range space, 35 shooting lanes, and an electronic target retrieval system, it means no line breaks and more trigger time. The friendly people at Riverside Indoor Shooting Range can answer all your questions about firearms training, self-defense training, firearm rentals, gunsmithing, archery, and more. And for the ladies, the Riverside chapter of the Well-Armed Woman meets there the second Tuesday of each month for women of all experience levels. Looking for a great holiday gift for the shooting enthusiast in your life? During the month of December, get 10% off a full year's membership or 10% off any gift certificate of $40 or more. Riverside Indoor Shooting Range. For directions and info, log on to RiversideIndoorShootingRange.com. That's RiversideIndoorShootingRange.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range and CCW Safe. Spartans, lay down your weapons! Persians, come and get them! Hey guys, welcome back to the firing line radio show. This is Stan Campbell from CCW Safe, stepping in for Phil Naiman, who is absent today. Uh, we have two guests today, um, for those who are just jumping in, uh, attorney um, Matthew Cabrero and Kyle Sweet. And we're moving into the discussion about brandishing. Uh, just to get ahead of them, you know, we at CCW Safe, you know, defend those who are involved in self-defense incident. And believe it or not, the most significant problem that we run into is brandishing. So, Matthew, um, I'm going to let you jump in first because... You're a California native and you defend uh, cases here. What type of problems have you run into with brandishing cases? Well, so brandishing, at least under California law, is generally defined as drawing or showing any firearm in a rude, angry, or threatening manner or unlawfully using a firearm in any manner in someone else's presence. And so in California specifically, um, it, it, Obviously, there there's generally a prohibition on open carry of firearms, but there is uh, some people are, of course, depending on what county they live in, uh, do have CCW permits and are allowed to carry. And so, one of the biggest concerns, uh, typically, that I have, I actually, um, I, I'm also a firearms instructor, and, and I do teach uh, some of the classes here in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, um, as far as a, 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 from a sort of a, an instructor's point of view. Uh, especially as a CCW instructor, it's one of those things that you're always going to want to sort of be careful about uh, accidentally displaying your weapon to someone because that can be interpreted, for example, as, you know, a man with a gun, you know, someone's calling the police, that kind of thing. And so always being careful not to sort of display your firearm inappropriately. But, you know, there's a difference, at least under California law, between brandishing and what's more commonly called things like printing or just accidental display of a firearm kind of thing. Uh, you're not necessarily showing it in a rude, angry, or threatening manner, but police can most certainly be called to the to the scene, and, and, and it could be a bad day for everyone. And so that's, that's sort of one of the primary concerns uh, that I have as far as brandishing is concerned. But 
Uh, people should understand, too, of course, though, that uh, it is uh, permissible to brandish a firearm in self-defense as long as you can meet the elements of self-defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but w- one of the... Um, one of the things that people should be aware about, however, is that brandishing a firearm, uh, even though you're not actually discharging that firearm, is still within the eyes of California generally considered deadly force. And so when you're, when you're brandishing a firearm, you have to meet the elements of self-defense that would satisfy those elements as far as using deadly force is concerned. And, and, and so if, you're, um, if, you, if you do need to brandish a firearm for whatever reason, it's one of those considerations that you should take into effect is, you know, it, it's, almost not, it's almost to the level, but not quite to the level of actually discharging a firearm, essentially, is, yeah. is brandishing a firearm. And so that's what you have to be careful about. Absolutely. And then, and then Kyle, you know, uh, as General Counsel for CCW SAFE, you know, we run into some issues nationwide with, uh, this with this with our members and and also with California case we've had to defend. Um, you know, do you have something you can add to that as well? Well, first of all, I'd like to say it's a real treat to uh, be with uh, Matthew on this call as well because uh, if anyone in California who has any firearms related questions or uh, legal work, be it an FFL with issues or you know criminal defense civil rights types of issues with firearms, uh, Matt's firm the the Michelle Law Firm is, you know, one of the top firms in the country for dealing with firearms laws. So it's, it's a real treat to get to spend some time with him on it, and I appreciate that opportunity. Uh, what we see on a national footprint, one thing I think that I, I agree with what Matt said, and it's pretty consistent. You can be in jurisdiction. I, I'd say it's a jurisdiction-specific kind of problem. Whether you're going to get charged or not with brandishing, a lot of times has to do with whether the district attorney is a gun guy or gun gal or not. And if you're in places that are typically firearms friendly, uh, then you're going to probably have a better chance of, of if being charged, not being charged perhaps with, with a felony. Uh, most of our California cases we've had where we've had uh, branching has been the charge. It's been a felony charge. Uh, so far, we've been very successful because we hire excellent lawyers like Matt and his firm and, and a few others to, to handle those types of cases. And we take them very serious and we resource them with expert witnesses with uh, investigators to go out and really work the case up as well as doing deep dives into the backgrounds of the other person who we would consider the instigator of the, of the uh, confrontation. The, the biggest takeaway I think that we see is the expense of these cases. Uh, they're, they're, it may not sound like it's a brandishing sounds like a relatively harmless type of activity. The word does not uh, really is not very evocative of, of the seriousness that the charge really is. They're expensive. You need to have, uh, uh, you know, an excellent lawyer. Who those are not inexpensive in our brandishing cases. A minimum, even of getting something, if it's pleaded quickly or if it's dismissed, and uh, you know, and uh, someone pleads out to a lesser included offense, we still cover you for that. Uh, and the expense of the lawyer is around twenty five thousand dollars. Just if, if it's the case is going to be around for a month or two, when the case is is, is gone to trial, uh, you know the we we spend you know on a brandishing case that's a felony you know it, the costs and legal expenses can come close to a hundred thousand dollars and so that's when we constructed CCW safe we wanted to make sure that we did it that was user friendly and you're not going to have to front any of that money uh, which some of our competitors that's the way they're set up is you seek reimbursement only in the event if you're acquitted but for us it's important that you get the protection you know guilty not guilty uh, mistrial whatever we're here for our members in those situations. And this is our number one 
uh, claim that we have and that our claims committee uh, addresses on a weekly basis in management of the litigation around the country is brandishing. Absolutely. And, um, you know, just to follow up with what Kyle's talking about, you know, I, I sit on the claims committee and, you know, like he said, you know, it really is our number one case across the nation is people displaying their firearm or, you know, um, you know, um, you know, pointing to their firearm is allowing it to be um, seen, you know, in in reference to defending themselves or, or trying to uh, keep anyone from continuing whatever type of altercation it is, which is usually verbal. So, you know, you guys have to remember also, because I, I like to speak to you as a, um, a self-defense instructor as well and a former police officer. Um, you have to really think about, especially in this this time and um in the political arena that that we're dealing with, you know, to learn yourself how to de-escalate and also how to, you know, put yourself and not put yourself in the position in which you you have to do something like this. You know, a lot of these things, you know, we are um, there. There's fair warning as to how something's going at, and we're not talking about a life-threatening attack. We're talking about a buildup that starts from an argument, and then you move into you know physical threats. Um, you know, these are something that you know you guys need to. Think about getting away from, you know, just like, you know, road rage. Um, Kyle, follow up on that, you know, because we run into a lot of cases with road rage as well. Well, yeah, that's uh, an emphasis on, is on the word rage. Uh, I think it's really important for people to be incredibly honest with themselves about why they got a concealed carry permit in the first place. Uh, it is not going to fix everything that is wrong in your life. It is not going to make people look at you different. It should not make you look at other people different. It is an, an awesome responsibility to have a firearm on your person all the time. It's a commitment, and it's not over once your permit is issued. It's a continuing commitment to get training and education and preparing yourself to make that ultimate decision to use that weapon to defend yourself or someone that you care about. So. You cannot take that lightly. And what happens is people don't imagine scenarios occurring. And so when they get themselves in confrontations, they, they think this gun gives them a confidence that uh, basically gives them an alligator mouth, and they start talking crap to people. This is what we see in our claims. They, they, they decide, I've got a gun, and I don't have to put up with this stuff from anybody anymore. So when somebody walks in front of my car and I stop suddenly, a confrontation involves, whereas or evolved, whereas historically in their life, they would have never said anything. Well, the best thing you can do, and this comes from some of the top tier, tier one military guys in, in, in the United States, they all say, if you ask them to a man, what would you do if, if you're carrying concealed and somebody walks in front of your car and pounds the hood of your car and screams at you to get out so they can, they can fight you? They say, I'm in a car, I lock the doors and I make sure the windows are rolled up and I drive off, mm-hmm. or I call 911. That's the appropriate response. That gun is not going to solve that problem for you. That gun is there in case all other problem-solving possibilities fail. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, guys, um, um, we're going to go ahead and move into the next segment. Um, for our listeners, um, you know, please join us in the next segment when we talk about the pitfalls of self-defense cases with our two guests. Um, looking forward to that segment as well. Uh, Thanks for listening. If you carry a concealed weapon and own a concealed carry permit, you need protection beyond the weapon. My name is Larry Vickers, and I am a retired veteran of U.S. Special Operations, and I now teach law enforcement, civilians, and members of our military in advanced firearm training. 
I train people to use their firearms in almost any situation, but I can't prepare them for what happens if they are forced to use a gun to save their lives. That's why I use CCW Safe. They offer membership plans for concealed carry permit holders, and if members are involved in a use of force incident, CCW Safe provides expert witnesses, investigators, and the best defense attorneys in the U.S. Yearly plans range from $99 for a single membership to $150 for a dual membership, and special plans are available for law enforcement and military. Members are required to have a valid concealed carry permit and must maintain their permit. Visit ccwsafe.com today. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino and Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? Welcome back to the Fire Line Radio Show. This is Stan Campbell from CCW Safe. I'm standing in for Phil Naiman. And we're back for our last segment to talk about the pitfalls of self-defense cases with our two guests, Attorney Kyle Sweet, General Counsel CCW Safe, and Matthew Cabrero of Michelle and Associates, Long Beach, California. So, Matthew, um, I want to kind of get into this segment, you know, really talking about, you know, pitfalls of self-defense cases and, and what you've seen, especially in California, you know, for these listeners. Yeah, so so one of the things that I like to point out first uh, in sort of any self-defense case is, is people need to understand that there's this concept under the law that you're innocent until proven guilty in, in a typical crime. But when you're claiming self-defense, you're essentially admitting that you committed the crime, but you're justifying your actions. And so what what that does, as far as the nature of the case is concerned, is that shifts the burden to the person claiming self-defense to prove that their actions were justified. And that's sort of a, a dramatic change in the dynamic of the case as far as how it's handled. And so you're sort of put on the hot seat, so to speak, in that you have to prove that your actions were justified. Uh, one of the things that there's this sort of overarching theme in self-defense cases in California and generally throughout the nation is this element of reasonableness to your actions. And the way that the jury sort of determines whether or not your actions are reasonable under the circumstances, they try and put themselves in your shoes and then sort of ask what a reasonable person in a similar situation with similar knowledge would do. And so you have to sort of think about that from that perspective of a CCW holder that you're the type of person that's a gun owner, that's gone through training, that's presumably gone through some level of legal training. And so as far as sort of general citizens are concerned, you're held to one of the highest standards as a CCW holder whenever you decide that you need to use your firearm in self-defense. And so... Um, I, I, there have been people that have gone through some of the classes that I've taught, and, and they just they decide ultimately I don't want to carry a gun anymore because I don't I don't want that sort of responsibility, and that's perfectly fine. But it, it's one of those things that everyone sort of needs to understand, it, and sort of everything we were talking about in the segment before that uh, you are held to one of the highest standards uh, as far as a CCW holder is concerned, and so you need to be absolutely certain that you know your actions are going to be able to be justified in the eyes of the law, and ideally. If you do that, and you've gone through the training, and you've used your firearm in an appropriate manner, it shouldn't even get to the stage where they file charges against you. And so that's that's sort of at least how how I see it. So good, thanks, Matt. And uh, and Kyle, um, you know, we just came up on the one year anniversary of, yeah. of the acquittal for our member, um, uh, Mr. Maddox, Stephen Maddox, uh, out of North Carolina. Uh, could you kind of give us a 
a brief overview of that and also, you know, kind of some of the pitfalls we ran into with that case? Sure. One thing also, just as a quick mention, that all of these cases where people are getting uh, charged with brandishing are, they're brandishing their firearm to an unarmed person, mm-hmm. and uh, which leads us to the Maddox case, which which is quite a bit of a different distinction than someone who's showing someone else a firearm to try to change their behavior uh, in a non-life-threatening situation. His was quite the opposite, the nightmare scenario for any of us who carry concealed weapon. Uh Stephen Maddox is a, a computer programmer from uh, Eastern United States. Very, very nice young guy, wife and kids, uh, college educated, and he was a motorcycle aficionado. And he was at a uh, not a rally, but it was a motorcycle uh, show. And uh, there was a guy who didn't like the way he rode his motorcycle and had been harassing him for uh, several months. And when this guy sees him, the guy was twice his size, weighed three hundred pounds. Uh, the autopsy revealed he was a, uh, and the testimony revealed he was a chronic, you know, drug abuser. He had drugs on board in his system at the time he died. He had a uh, forced confrontation with Mr. Maddox, uh, who uh, people pulled the attacker off of Stephen. Stephen uh, fled. Uh, he did not pull a weapon. A sec- the guy pursues him in this crowd with hundreds of people in it pursues him, attacks him a second time, and Mr. Maddox took out his keys and swung them at the guy, cut his cheek, and was able to flee again. Uh, He got to his motorcycle and was concerned that he wasn't going to have time to get away from the guy if he came again, and so he grabbed his gun, which he kept unloaded. He loaded it, and as as he's completing loading the gun, the the attacker pulls up on his motorcycle and physically attacks him again, and uh, our member had to fire his weapon, struck the man, and uh, he died at the scene. So the uh, takeaway from that, Mr. Maddox was uh, then taken to the police department. He was questioned. He called for our services, and we had boots on the ground in less than 24 hours. They eventually did charge him with first-degree murder. Uh, A year and a half later, uh, we had a three-week-long jury trial, and he was acquitted. Uh, so it was a successful outcome. Uh, but part of the, the dynamic there is you, you don't know what whether they will or will not charge you. Uh, so even in a situation where you're being viciously attacked by somebody uh, who's essentially a, a, you know on drugs, you know they're the aggressor and the evidence is clear on it, the prosecutor's offices have very limited resources. So oftentimes it's easy for them to charge you and just throw some testimony up and hope they get a conviction. Uh, but for you, the person in, in Mr. Maddox's case, uh, this is your future. This is your life. This is your livelihood. And everything is at stake, uh, which made that victory so incredibly sweet for us uh, because Mr. Maddox has become uh, a real activist on the issue of uh, concealed carry and making sure that you have yourself protected, not just by having a gun, but by having a plan to use it, training and education on when and when not to use it and then having uh, the protection in place in case you have to, because there's the fight, and then there's the second fight. Absolutely. And then, Matthew, you know, and as a firearms uh, NRA certified firearms instructor uh, and, and, and a litigator uh, for self-defense cases, um, you would agree, because, you know, in the Maddox case, he did one thing that, you know, everyone says is a no-no, which is speak to authorities before or, or not in front of his attorney. Um, you know, um, so I'm sure Matthew, um, can you give us some follow up about that, you know, uh, and, and also cases like that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything that was just said. And, of course, my perspective as an attorney is always, you know, don't talk to the police, let your attorney do that. Because uh, generally speaking, especially after a self-defense situation, you're going to be under a lot of stress. Uh, and it's one of those things that uh, it's always wise to uh, to have an attorney uh, sort of interface with law enforcement for that reason. Uh, with regards to what was just being discussed, though, it, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it sort of depends on the political uh, inclination of the prosecutor, whether or not charges can get filed against you, and that could be the sole reason. Uh, a good example of that uh, that every, a lot of people, I'm sure, are familiar with is the uh, the Trayvon Martin case in Florida. Uh, in that case, it was, I th- I, after looking at the facts and, and you know, uh, lo- looking at the case in more detail, I think it was a pretty clear example of lawful use of self-defense, and I think the jury even saw that in a unanimous verdict uh, in, as far as acquittal is concerned. Uh, but nevertheless, the, the political nature of that case and, and the, the sort of outcry from the public uh, following that incident is sort of what uh, I think was one of the, the, uh, the reasons why the case was filed to begin with, and so that, that could always be the case. And so it, it, even if your actions are completely justified in the eyes of the law, just, just by the nature of, of the political firestorm that it might create, uh, could be problematic for that very reason. Absolutely. And then, um, you know, yeah. a, a, as, we, as we near uh, the closeout of this conversation, uh, Kyle, do you have any other um, suggestions or tips for concealed carriers in reference to, you know, how to prepare themselves or, you know, for that next fight, which is, the, you know, the, the fight in court? Well, absolutely. One thing I I, uh, I completely agree with Matthew on, and I think the the Zimmerman case, the Trayvon Martin State versus Zimmerman case, uh, was actually tried successfully by our National Trial Counsel Don West, who uh, works with CCW Safe every day. And he, in fact, it, when in trials that he may not be participating in for our members, he is there at trial uh, participating as a consultant with everything from jury selection, witness preparation, and everything. So. Uh, the, my final suggestion would be to you know look at our website. We have uh, spent a tremendous amount of time, energy, and, and uh, resources in providing video, uh, you know, email newsletters that provide advice from subject matter experts such as Matthew and and other people on uh, on, on all these issues. Constantly be a student uh, and and improve yourself physically as well as you know the decision you make, your proficiency with your with your firearm. It's a nonstop process, and our website, by not only design and purpose, is specifically a resource for our members ongoing. It's important to have that as, as a resource for everybody because you really, things are changing. And so we pride ourselves on having excellent content that provides uh, subject matter expert advice on all the manner of things from holster selection, firearm selection, uh, tactics. Uh, legal updates and so forth. So CCWSafe.com is a great resource for people to uh, to start with. Absolutely. And and thank you, Kyle. Um, and so, Matthew, uh, closing thought? Uh, yeah, it, I agree with everything that was just said. It's one of those things that if you're going to be carrying a firearm for self-defense, you need to be both proficient with that firearm and you need to fully comprehend and understand your legal responsibilities for doing so. And, and so for that reason, there is no such thing as enough training. You, you constantly need to work uh, at, at improving your skills, both with your firearm and your legal knowledge. Absolutely. So, guys, um, we're going to close out this, this show, and I want to thank both guests, Matthew and, and Kyle, for their contributions. And um, 
continue to follow the Fire, Fire on Radio show and wait on Phil to come back. Thanks for listening. Shoot, Felipe! Shoot! When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, CCW Safe, Moppin Financial Advisors, Cutting Edge Bullets, Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino, and Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.